stay as members of Mayflower Church. You will continue to see Steve serving on Sunday mornings as the liturgist for guest preachers that we have coming this summer. And one of them is even his own daughter, Lindsay. Today, to celebrate Steve's time with us on staff, we are going to have cake, as you do in church, after the service in the atrium. So we hope that you will all come and join us. And now I'd like to invite Julia up for the moment for music. Today I'd like to highlight our middle hymn. It, uh, it's a new hymn for me, so I imagine it might be a new hymn for you as well, although it is in our hymnal. Um, this was a recommendation by Steve when we were in staff meeting this week. I said, what can you suggest a hymn that will fit well with what you're preaching this week? And he just said, well, let our hearts be broken. Do you know that? And I said, no. And uh, turned out it's in our hymnal. And uh, it was written in the 1970s by Covenant Church pastor Brian Jeffrey Leach, born in England and served many years in churches here in the United States, including in Santa Barbara, where Steve uh, was his associate. So Steve knew him well and knew him at the time when this hymn was written um, for relief efforts at the Covenant Church. Um, And in this hymn, uh, Brian Jeffrey Leach encourages us to let our hearts be broken, not for our own sake, not for anything we've done, but out of deep concern for others. So he wants us to see that heartbreak is necessary in order for us to go about doing God's work. And as we sing that hymn, when the time comes, notice those action words in the first verse. And the first stanza, feed, soothe, give, serve. If you have other questions or if you uh, want to know more about this pastor, composer, author, um, talk to Steve during our coffee hour. Um, Also, just to note that today's postlude will be longer than my usual postludes. It's about eight minutes. Um, It's a wonderful preludium by Dietrich uh, Buxtehude, and it's sectional. So there might be two or three times when you think it's the end of the piece, but it's not. I assure you, it's a little bit longer than you think it is. But when the end comes, you'll know it's the end. And also want to make sure that you know that Jonathan Took will be here the next two Sundays. I will be uh, in Seattle and then uh, visiting my daughter in Salt Lake City. And Jonathan will be here to play. And I'm sure that you're going to want to be here and hear him and catch up with him. We've come this morning to worship together as a family of God. And the scriptures invite us to worship with these words, three short verses from scripture, which say, He, God, is our refuge and our fortress, our God in whom we trust. Let us confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, let us call upon our true God this morning, believing him in our hearts. 
confessing him with our mouths, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Shall we bow our heads together in prayer? O gracious and holy God, give us diligence to seek you, wisdom to perceive you, and patience to wait for you. Grant us, O God, a mind to meditate on you, eyes to behold you, 
ears to listen to your word, a heart to love you, and a life to proclaim you. Through the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite all the children worshiping to come forward for the children's message, please. So this summer, we are talking about symbols and things that mean certain things. And I have a question for the three of you. When you get ready to go to school in the morning, do you open your closet and think, what color am I going to wear today? Or do you just grab kind of whatever's there? You don't go in your closet? Okay. (laughs) I would guess you kind of grab or do whatever's on top. That's what my kids do. Whatever's on top that they put on. Well, did you know that oftentimes, what are the pastors usually wearing? They, in the summertime, they're wearing their suit coats. But what color of a, what are they usually wearing? A robe. And what color is the robe? It's black. But did you know they add these special things that are called stoles? Can you guys say that? Stoles. And so Allison, Mrs. Houlihan, is going to be my model today. And we are going to learn what every color of stole represents. All right, so we're going to start with this blue stole. And the blue represents royalty and welcoming a king. And it represents a night sky where there was a star that was seen. So what time of year do you think they would wear a blue stole? Wes? Exactly. Blue is the color of Advent. And then the next stole we have is white. And white represents purity, holiness, respect, and reverence. And they wear it often on holy, high holy days. So like Easter and Christmas, baptisms and weddings, and sometimes at funerals. Next we have a gold stole. And gold is what's precious and valuable. And so we wear that on high holidays too. But then some stoles are fancy. They're reversible. So you guys are learning all the tricks of the trade here this summer. So then that reverses into the color purple. 
So purple represents pain and suffering, and it represents lint to represent when Jesus suffered on the cross. This next stole is one of my favorites. It's red to represent Pentecost. And Pentecost, we just celebrated. And if you remember, it's when everyone spoke in all sorts of different languages. So if you look at the pattern, it's all different patterns. But then here in the cross, it's all brought together because we all come together through Christ. And then we have the green stole. And I think sometimes we see the green stole more than the other colors because it it means renewal of life, promise of new life, and it's used during epiphany or what they call ordinary times. And so now when you come to church, you're able to kind of tell what time of year it is by what color stole that the pastors are wearing and you know what it means. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful for the gift of color and the gift of symbols and the gift of your calendar that takes us through life with you. May you continue to bless us on these beautiful, sunny summer mornings. In Jesus' name, amen. I am going to dismiss the three of you with Mrs. Houlihan to Sunday school. You can just take this. You guys can kind of stand up.
Good morning. Today we will have our scripture lesson from Isaiah and also from Luke. Isaiah will be the full chapter that we will be hearing. And Isaiah will be found in our Pew Bible on page 487. Page 487. And beginning with Isaiah's commission, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Hosea died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. The the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphims, each with six wings. With two, they were covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook the temple, and it was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphims flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of the people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes or hear with their ears. Understand or understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the city lies ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the cherubim and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. And beginning with Luke 10, verse 1 through 9. Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. 
I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Um, I do want to say just just a word. I, I didn't know that there would be uh, recognition. Uh, you know, we've already said goodbye three weeks ago uh, at the annual meeting. Um, this is the, the last day that I will be uh, on the staff of Mayflower Congregational Church. But it is, it's not a goodbye. I will be here next Sunday morning and... I think after a few weeks, you're going to say, we just can't get rid of this guy. Um, it doesn't mean you have to have a cake every Sunday, but it's really, it's great that uh, providing that today. So it's not a, a day for goodbye. Uh, we will be seeing you. Uh, but it is a, a day to say thank you. Uh, I, I wrote um, in our newsletter that uh, to me, uh, these last 10 months for me, have been, uh, well, I felt perhaps a bit like those wedding guests did at Cana of Galilee in praising God that the best wine was saved until the end. And uh, that's how I feel uh, about these months in being with you. I graduated from seminary back in 1968 and have been active in ministry almost continually until this day. And I do consider this a day of retirement. Um, my wife may be skeptical. It's about the sixth time, I guess, that we've, that we've said that. To uh, sing this song of Brian Leach that we did a few minutes ago uh, is especially meaningful to me. It was in 1971 that I uh, went to Santa Barbara and joined the staff at uh, a covenant church there in Montecito and got to know Brian and uh, to appreciate his gifts. And it was an opening to a really wonderful chapter of ministry for me that lasted some almost 50 years in the Evangelical Covenant that I was very, very grateful for. So thank you, and we'll just be seeing you all the time in, in the days ahead. Summer has come, and it's glory and beauty, it's warmth, uh, the world alive around us. And the summer means a lot of different things for us. It can mean travel and vacations and relaxation, a different pace of life. And I, I think for some it, it means an extra time to do some catching up with reading, just 
sitting by the lake or in the backyard and whatever it may be. Uh, and I want to suggest that if you haven't included in your reading to this point, that this summer you consider reading the great work of J.R. Tolkien in Lord of the Rings, one of the greatest works of literature in all the history of English literature, for sure. But I want to tell you just a bit about it. I think it sets the tone for what we're looking at today. In, in that great work, Frodo Baggins sets out on a quest. He must make the dangerous trek to Mount Doom and hurl the ring of power into the fires of the mount in order to save Middle-earth from the evil Gollum. And the power of the story is not so much reaching the destination, but the transformation uh, that takes place during the journey. It is about a calling, a calling to a task and to be faithful to that call. It's a sacred calling. And how Frodo and those around him, how they guarded the call through all kinds of hazards on the way. But the task wore him down. And near the end of the journey, Frodo cries out how he wishes he was not the one to carry the ring. But Gandalf, the wizard, who was there to encourage him all the way through, says, But you, you have been chosen. You must therefore use such strength and heart and wits as you have. And this sense of call and the worthiness of it, the glorious goodness of a life lived beyond an individual's agenda, it is a precious thing. And it is something that God gives to his church and gives to every single one of us. Now, it's easily subverted into grandiosity into a search for wealth and fame and power. And history is potmarked by far too much of that. And that sacred call, too, is often lost in, in the ministry of the mundane, just slogging through Modor on the way to Mount Doom. But that calling must be guarded. We have been looking at a man who was called Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, and this is our third and final look at that. Isaiah is called, and in the end, tradition tells us that call led to his martyrdom. It wasn't an easy road. But the call, our call, to follow Jesus in the quest for the kingdom of God, the call that the church embraced that gives reason for the church to exist. We are called the people of God's choosing. Paul says, to this you were called. That's the church. But calling in the Bible is always for others. It's always to let your heart be broken as you give yourself to a world in need. Way back in Genesis 12, Abraham, then known as Abram, is called to go to a land he knew nothing about. But the call wasn't for Abraham's security or wealth and all of that. 
God says to him, by you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. It's for everyone in the world, Abraham. Jonah, the reluctant prophet, is told, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Isaiah, in today's text, says, Then I heard the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Jesus gathered his disciples. He was about to ascend into heaven. He would be gone. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach this good news to everyone everywhere. And in the text that Ellen read in Luke chapter 10, Jesus appoints 72 to go out, and he sends them out two by two. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, in the first eight chapters, chapters 1 to 8, it's focused on on Jesus, his birth, his ministry, his miracles, his teaching, and he announces the kingdom of God is here. When he arrives on the scene, he embodies the kingdom of God. And it's just in him, one person. And then in Luke chapter 9, he sends out the twelve on a mission. Now the kingdom of God is expressed by twelve going out. And in the next chapter, Luke 10, that was read for us, now 72 are sent out with the message to take this good news. Don't take a purse or an extra pair of sandals. You just go. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. I'm sending you out, he says, like lambs among wolves. And the gospel begins to go out. From the very beginning, Jesus' followers have to know that mission, going and giving, is what God is all about. Mission, going and giving is what Jesus and Jesus' followers are all about. Jesus' calling was central. It gave definition to his very life. And it was a compulsion. He said again and again, I have to do the will of my Father. Paul would write, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Isaiah, who has looked up, and he has seen the Lord high and lifted up. His glory fills the temple. He hears the angels sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook, and smoke filled the temple, and overwhelmed. By this vision of God, he now looks in, as we looked at last week, and says, Whoa, man, I need to change. There's something about me that needs to change. And the angels fly with hot burning coals from the altar. And he opens up his arms and he receives the touch of God's burning coal upon his lips. And he is cleansed. But it's not, that doesn't end the experience. It's not just 
for Isaiah's benefit. It's not just for his good. It's not so that he can go out and write a book or go on tour talking about how I met God and how he touched my lips and anointed me and empowered me. It is about Isaiah being sent on a mission. And so now he will hear the word. Whom shall I send, the Lord says, and who will go for us? And he said, here I am. Send me. Send me. You know, uh, whenever, I, whenever I get into Isaiah 6 and look at that response, I can't help but think about, well, I mean, some of you will remember that TV show, Welcome Back, Cotter. Remember that? Yeah, how um, Gabe Cotter goes back as a teacher now to the high school where he caused so much trouble as a student. <laughs> and they put him in a classroom with, a, with the sweat hogs, you know, all the misfits and, you know, uh, wisecracks and incorrigible kids that are in this class. And one of the sweat hogs is a guy named Arnold Horshack. Remember Arnold? And whenever a question is asked, Arnold's the kind of guy, he, I got, I know, I know, I know, he raises his hand and he just, you know, call on me, call on me. But you don't want to call on Arnold because you have no idea what Arnold's going to say. You know, I just get that feeling that that's Isaiah in that moment. He's a gay mean, he don't, look over here, here, I'll go, I'll go. He is so caught up in what is happening. So eager to go. Well, God calls on him. God says, okay, you go. You go. And then, in that passage, did you catch it as Ellen read it? God gives Isaiah a job description. It's one of the most horrible job descriptions in existence. He says, Isaiah... I want you to go and be my messenger. But I want you to know um, that virtually for the rest of your life, nobody's going to listen to you. That's a tough call for a preacher. You know. It's going to be just slogging through Modar, Isaiah. I want you to go, but in the eyes of your people, you're going to be a total failure. Your approval rating is going to be south of the United States Congress. Hear these words again. Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understand. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. And the once eager Isaiah, here I am, you know, I'll go. He gets the job description and he says, how long, oh Lord, how long do I have to do this? I mean, like all summer? I mean, is it like a, a two-year mission? Well, you, until 90% is destroyed. Wow, that long, yeah. Yeah, Isaiah, that long. And when there's just 10% left, the 90% reduced to rubble, even that 10% will be burnt and destroyed. But 
when it's all destroyed, there's going to be a sign of life. A little shoot will come out of the stump. Look at the front of your bulletin. Courtney, picturing again. Life out of deadness. A little green shoot coming out of a stump that looked so dead. That little shoot, God says, will grow. Will grow. And from that, my Messiah will come. Out of the root of David. Life out of the stump. The call of God to the church is to go and to give. It's not just to experience me in your own life, as important as that is. And as important as it is that we get the order straight, that we look up and we see God. And that reality becomes the basis of all that we are. And we look in and say, wow, I need to change. And we open our arms to receive the touch of God upon our life and the burning coal that transforms who we are. And then we look out and we see the need of a broken world. And we say, here, I'll go, I'll go. Now, as I said, that can all be subverted into grandiosity and done for personal gain. It can all be lost in the ministry of the mundane. But that call needs to be guarded. The plans are glorious. The hope is fierce. And hearts beat fast. But it involves a lot of slogging through Modar. Carrying the ring. Look out into our world. And see massive fractures and brokenness. Violence and pain and fear metastasized. And it is presumptuous, perhaps, to assume that we can make any kind of dent in it at all. But maybe that isn't the real question for us, how effective we will be. Maybe the real question, maybe the true issue for each of us is after we have looked up to a holy God, the whole earth full of His glory, after we have looked in and cried out, Woe is me! and opened ourselves to His grace, His touch. And we hear the voice calling, Who will go? I will. I will. I'll slog through Modar to carry out the calling. To live for something greater than myself or my comfort. 
or my prestige? Will we join Isaiah in saying, Here I am, Holy One. Send me. Then I heard a voice calling, Who will go for us? And who shall I send? And I said, Here am I. Send me. At a young age, I had a grandmother that taught me to tithe 10% of my allowance. She even had me tithe out of my birthday money, which was not easy. And it's still not easy as a grown-up to always be consistent with my tithing. But I find that when I do follow after God's work, that I see him in my life and the lives around me with such clarity. And this clarity comes not from the money that I gave, but from the heart that I gave it with. So as we come to this time in our service, as we do every week, may our hearts be tuned to God, and may we live lives that give more and more.
Lord, we offer these gifts to you. May we have hearts that give and eyes to see you and your presence all around us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I hope you don't mind that I like to come down and pray with you down where we live. (laughs) And even though Stephen and I sit up there sometimes, that's not really where we live. (laughs) There have been two requests come that you brought to me today. that we pray for uh, Jan Postma and her family in the death of her husband, Jim, who's passed into the presence of the Lord. And we're also asked to pray for the family of Ectel Blair, who also slipped into God's presence this very week. And that is cause for grief, but also for rejoicing. And then I've received a prayer request that in essence is a request for all of us. The person writing it says, I just need to recognize that there is so much I need to do. And then says, Listen, ask how to say help, be available, lead and manage what I can more than the usual. What a great request. And it's, it's for all of us. And when we come to the Lord like we're doing just now, It's good to think about what Scripture says about our praying. And I share with you a verse from 1 John in the New Testament, chapter 5, actually two verses, 14 and 15. Listen carefully. This is the background to our praying. This is the assurance we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. It's a tremendous word of faith. But now, I lift my voice in your behalf as we pray. Gracious, loving Heavenly Father, creator and sustainer of the universe, we worship you. We thank you for the promise to meet all our needs according to the riches of your glory because you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Lord, accept our repentance 
for hoarding our own wealth when you have really given us all things. Forgive us for closing our eyes and ears to the needs of others because we, we want more for ourselves. Pardon each of us, Lord, for allowing the material blessings you have given to deceive us into thinking we don't even need you. Lord, we sense shame for being consumed with worry over our financial, our material concerns, the concerns of the world and our country, as though you are not sufficient for all things. Gracious giving God, we trust you today to supply everything we need as individual Christians and as a community of faith that exalts your name. Bring us healing both physically and spiritually. Supply us as a church to follow your will in all that we plan and achieve. Father, provide us with a fresh vision of your power and your wealth so to accomplish your purpose in our worship and in our service. Give us courage to see, believe in, and live in the light of eternity, resisting temptation and abandoning ourselves to your will. For the glory of your great name, Jesus, we yoke our voices and pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And the glory forever. Amen.
And as you go to live out this day and every day, look up. Behold your God. Look in and make room for his grace. Look out on a world in need and go in the name of Jesus. He goes with you to bless and to keep. Amen.